Welcome to the first season of Fluster Clucks, when we launched at the beginning of the pandemic as a mom's retreat. We're no longer stuck in our houses, but most of us feel stuck in our anxious patterns. I'm Lynn Lyons, an anxiety expert, speaker, mom, and I've been a therapist for over 30 years. And I'm Robin, your co-host and Lynn's sister-in-law. Parenting is a Fluster Clucks. And we'll help you find your way. Black Lives Matter, and we weren't sure at first if there was an episode that we could create that would contribute anything to what's going on in the world. We thought that we should just stay silent and amplify voices of color to the members of our podcast group. But during the week, I read from a Black colleague that those who have platforms that reach white people should be using them. So we have been fumbling and mumbling through a few episode takes, searching for a contribution to this conversation playing out right now that's bringing desperately needed light to areas swept under the millions of rugs in white households for too long. And we discovered that Lynn's specialization in the emotional management of families has a lot of relevance here. Because stopping generational patterns in white families that silence conversations about race is ultimately no different than disrupting patterns of anger or grief or worry. And learning to externalize the emotional reaction of defensiveness coming from our white fragility is no different than externalizing our anxiety in order to manage it. And showing cultural humility and seeing a person for all that they are isn't that different than Mr. Rogers' lessons of validating other people's emotions so that we can create real connections? So that we know the majority of our listeners are white women, we've recorded an episode with the intention of giving white listeners a conversation that they may be needing right now or one that they should be having with others. Yeah. And Robin, that's exactly why we need to have this conversation because. I think it is very difficult for us to to talk openly about it, and we're not experts at other people's experience, that there are conversations now that I have been having that I want to continue to have that make me aware of how ill-equipped I feel to address this and and be able to have conversations because silence is not going to work anymore. And I'd love you to say more about it because this was really something that you brought up as we were having a conversation the other day about how we as women and we as white women, we have learned that being silent is polite. I grew up in a culture where women absolutely did not speak of this. The mothers and the friends of my mothers and their generation did not speak of this. And now my generation who are mothers, not that many are speaking of this. I wish more were. And I think that if there is a shift that happens, I'm holding out that it becomes impolite not to talk about this and that there is a paradigm shift because it is not a polite topic or an impolite topic. This is about people dying. Yeah. And I think it's it's so important for us to recognize that it really is about talking amongst ourselves about this, that it's not the job of Black people in this country to educate the white people about what they need and what they've been going through. We need to listen to those stories and hear those stories, but it's not their job to fix this. And it's not their job to give us the language to talk about it. We have to step into this and we have to, like you say, we have to look at how it was spoken about in our families and how we're talking to um 
to our children about this, this notion, I think I've been struck and I think you've been struck too by the conversations and the resources that I've been looking at. And some of them have just been amazing and we're going to post them so that you can have these resources as well about this idea of colorblindness and this this generational cycle of colorblindness and what happens when we say to kids in our families and in schools, oh, we don't see color. When you deny something that is so much a part of who somebody is and their culture and the way our culture deals with this, that you are basically saying, I am not going to, I am not going to validate or recognize or have a conversation with you about this incredibly important part of your experience. Right. The, the opposite of being colorblind is to have cultural humility. Right. And to have cultural humility takes self-education as well, right? That's, that's right. the goal to become culturally humble and to know the boundaries of your own experience. Part of my hesitancy and part of my silence and part of my not wanting to bring these things up is because I am fearful that I'm going to say the wrong thing, that I'm going to unintentionally offend, that I'm going to step into it in a way that makes somebody feel worse or embarrasses myself. So there's all that hesitancy. And I think when somebody says you can be culturally curious, which doesn't mean that, which means again, that I have to do the work myself. I have to discover this myself and I have to read and I have to learn that that gives me more permission to be involved in this process rather than to, to expect that I'm going to get it right because I'm not going to get it right. Well, because there's not necessarily a right. And I think that's the, it becomes pretty powerful when we think about, we have to get uncomfortable, figure these things out and to push ourselves. And once we do, we'll probably never be comfortable about it again, right? There's right. no, and we shouldn't be we because shouldn't be. the discomfort that we have in this conversation is the price we pay of being white and having racism benefit white people. Mm-hmm. I think that if I think about this in terms of how we grow and how we learn and how we connect with people, I think that in terms of getting uncomfortable, this is something that I talk about all the time. And if we're talking about anxiety, if I'm talking about mental health, if I'm talking about allowing kids to develop all the skills and all the experience we want them to develop, I am not talking about staying comfortable. And it really just sort of smacks me right in the middle of the forehead when I think that when it comes to this, I have to be willing to be uncomfortable and to stay uncomfortable. And I think that that's what we as white people have been unwilling to do. At least I I know for myself, this is really about stepping in and being uncomfortable. Right. And as you know, as a therapist, there's really only positive things when we push ourselves to areas of discomfort. That is powerful growth. That's right. And that applies here too. I think that the concept of, you know, you talk about being uncomfortable and uh, I, I, I signed up, uh, I'm with a group of friends discussing white fragility, that book that is highly recommended, our white feelings of defensiveness and others and, and how our own opinions of racism uh, are uninformed because of the role that we play in it. And 
So obviously reading these books is a great example. But the other thing where I think your training is so relevant is once white people start down this path, they will likely get defensive because they will be affronted with truths that are very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and externalizing that process of saying, this is my white fragility being offended right now. And I just have to push on through it. I have to notice my defensiveness and I have to notice what comes up for me and I have to get a little bit of distance from it and allow it to be there. It's sort of the same things that we talk about with so many of the other difficult emotions that come up. It's allowing it to be there and not using that as a signal that this isn't something that you shouldn't go into or go toward. I think uh, you used a phrase the other day that we're just fumbling and mumbling Mm -hmm. a lot this week. And I think that's very true. I think that fumbling and mumbling is expected course, white people are going to feel awkward, defensive, and guilty, and so many other feelings in this process. And we just have to step back and recognize that all of those feelings still are a fraction of the pain that Black people feel being oppressed in this system. That's right. And it's okay for us to feel that. It's it's to be expected. The goal I think that that I'm reaching toward at this point is that I am going to push myself to say things and have those conversations that normally I would avoid with white people that I know well. I know that I don't confront things or that I don't speak up about things in certain situations because I don't want to have that uncomfortable or I don't want to have that confrontation with that other white person. And I am going to work very hard not to do that anymore because it's just been a pattern of being, like you said, being complicit, being silent, being polite. I just don't want to do that anymore. I don't want my children to see me doing that. It's too important. And I think we we need to consciously make that decision to change the way that we address those situations. You know, when you're listening to a song on the radio and you just have this feeling that the song was written about you or that it was someone that you love trying to say something to you? Well, now imagine the power to gift that same incredible feeling to someone you love with an original song that actually is about them and about your relationship and that Songfinch writes just for you. Songfinch lets you create an original radio quality song inspired by your own life and the people that you love. It's completely unique, it's personal, and it lasts forever. I had the pleasure of creating a family song with Songfinch about our summer celebrations that we have every year. I knew it was going to make everybody cry, and it certainly did. I got to be honest, I was even crying, giving all of the information and helping personalize my song with the writer that I chose. He absolutely delivered a beautiful acoustic song that captured exactly what I was looking for, and it was so fun to share with the family. So whether your song is for Father's Day, an upcoming graduation, a wedding or an anniversary, or even just a gift to show your loved one how much you care, start your song now to lock in one of Songfinch's top artists. 
Don't waste another dollar on more stuff. It only takes four to seven days, but that song will last forever. For a limited time, Songfinch is letting our listeners upload their song to Spotify for free so you and the lucky person or people can listen to it anywhere, anytime. So go to songfinch.com slash fluster and start your song. After you purchase, you'll be prompted to add Spotify streaming for your original song for free, a $50 value. Again, the URL is songfinch.com slash fluster. Don't forget to share your song with us too in our Facebook group, songfinch.com slash fluster. Robin and I travel a lot. And part of traveling is that you learn that you have to compromise, right? So maybe you're not going to get the best seat on the plane. Well, you know where you shouldn't compromise? You shouldn't compromise with your health care. When it comes to your health, there's no compromising, everybody. Don't go back to that one doctor who didn't really pay attention to you, who rushed you through your appointments. Check out ZocDoc. This is the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel comfortable, listen to you, and prioritize your health. And you can search by location, availability, insurance, so literally no compromises here. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online. Once you find the doc you want, you can book them immediately. You don't have to wait. You don't have to be on hold with a receptionist. These doctors all have verified reviews from real patients. So the typical wait time to see a doctor booked on ZocDoc is just between 24 and 72 hours. That's it. You can even score same-day appointments. I have two young adult sons. They are always needing something, right? We've had broken elbows. We've had tonsils. We've had this. We've had that. If I were a young person, if I were a parent trying to help my young person find a doctor, this is what I would use. So Go to ZocDoc.com slash Fluster and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Fluster. ZocDoc.com slash Fluster. So in addition to doing our own reading so that we're not burdening the people of color in our lives to ask them to educate us, I think that one of the easy ways, in addition to books, uh, social media can be very powerful. And there are a lot of great pages dedicated to talking about race that I will share the links to. The other thing to consider doing is putting our money to causes right now. And then there are also fantastic lists of books and ideas to discuss race with our kids that are age appropriate. And I think a challenge, you know, Lynn, you and I have talked about this for people who like to learn and be curious. And this is something that there's no certificate you get that you're now a good white person. And there's no, there's no magic club you get to become a part of when you do this work. It has to be done by yourself and, you know, with your family. And it's, that makes it challenging for people to want to commit the effort for, but that doesn't make it any less important. And there's no end to it. I think that that's something we have to think about too, because one of the things I was talking to my son today, uh, my older son, and one of the things he pointed out is how this is, how will this, how will we continue with this? I think it's a daily thing. I think it's, it's something that we need to pay attention to on a daily basis. And like you say, it isn't that you're going to get some award at the end. There's not, 
there's not some way that we we get to the end. It sort of reminds me sometimes of the way people talk about grief when they haven't really been in grief is that people people want closure. And people who have gone through loss and grief say closure really isn't the right word. There's not an end to this. We don't close it up. We don't say, okay, well, good. We're done with that grief. And I don't think that we're done with this I don't think that there is going to be a closure. It's going to be an ongoing process, every day, paying attention. I want to put in the links a very helpful video, a TED Talk called Bad White People, because it talks about the the silencing of in the distancing so many white people have done since the civil rights era of overt bigotry and extremism and wanting to label racism as that, as opposed to acknowledging the complex system that racism is from internal biases, systemic institutions to um, these personal feelings. Like racism is a big bear and I think that it's important to understand where the silence came from. And there's a very powerful moment when he asks a majority white audience if they are comfortable screaming white power after he had asked black members of the audience and Latino members of the audience if they would stand up and yell black power and Latino power, which both did. And then there's this terribly awkward silence when white people are asked to stand and say white power. And of course, no one says anything. Mm -hmm. And what I loved about that exercise is that this has been a huge elephant in the room where we all know these horrible truths that we just live in denial about. And we've created these systems of denial or other ways of not addressing it. I think a positive aspect that can come out of this is if the barriers of conversation finally come down where white people will start talking about this with each other. I think you make such a good point is that the way, the way that if if you consider yourself and and view yourself as a progressive white person that you still, and I, I can, I can absolutely see this in my profession is that you still don't talk about it. You still don't acknowledge it. You still don't ask questions about it. And I think one of the things that's been helpful to me over the last few days as I've been hearing and and reading some amazing things from people of color in my field in particular is that it really is okay to ask questions and to make mistakes and to not be perfect and to listen and be open to hearing the stories that aren't necessarily just the big dramatic stories of racism because I think that's what that is what we sort of think about but how it insidiously impacts every moment of the day if you are a person of color in the United States of America well one of the things that's tricky is that in order to be an ally, you can't ask the people of color in your surroundings to educate you and put put the burden of your education on them. Exactly. And so the first time a well-meaning white person might approach their black friend and say, talk to me about this, and they receive a reaction of, you know, this isn't my responsibility. Mm -hmm. It feels awkward and you realize 
eventually, because maybe not in that moment, you understand what you're, you don't understand the message that your friend is trying to tell you. Yeah. And the point is you have to do your own research and you have to do your own reading and you can't put the burden of understanding what it means to be so oppressed on the oppressed. That's just perpetuating the oppression. It's critical that we take responsibility. And that's the challenge because if white people aren't talking about it with each other, it makes that self-education process even harder because then it's required to do it alone in a vacuum. And so that's where if white people eventually lower defenses and feel that they can talk about this with each other and guide each other down this path of being an ally, I think that's progress. Uh, There are so many great resources right now in terms of the importance of talking to your children Mm -hmm. at an age appropriate level to talk to white children as young as two. Like it is. And I think that I can say that from the, I have a 14 year old and a nine year old and I recall the way that I wanted to talk about race with my firstborn. And I made so many mis I made so many mistakes that are so common. Please Google why being colorblind isn't helpful and why it is a distraction that will prevent you from doing really necessary work and having really critical conversations with our kids. I think making sure that you don't have a colorblind household, even if you think that you came from a a tradition of families who have always been supportive of civil rights and supportive of anti-racism, most likely you still were raised in a colorblind household if you're white. And that, that is, that is like such a key thing to take a bite of and to accomplish. There was a really great resource and we can, we can put up the link of um, talking in terms of, of schools and education teachers and, uh, and um, the whole idea of colorblind and, and teachers saying, you know, when I teach, I don't see color and the whole, and the responses, which we'll put up the link because they were so much better than so much more eloquent than I will be able to to say right now. But basically saying, if you are saying to me, you don't see my color, then you are denying an aspect of myself that is so important to me and so critical to who I am and to my experience in this country. So it really is when you say you're colorblind, you're denying a part of me that I need you to hear about and I need you to acknowledge all, all saying you're colorblind is, is saying, I'm going to shy away from confronting a truth that I actually know to be true. Correct. I'm uncomfortable talking about racism, so I'm going to pretend that race doesn't exist to make right. myself more comfortable. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pretend we're all white. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I think I was, I was talking yesterday about sort of when I, when I talk about anxiety, I talk about content versus process and that the content doesn't really matter to me, but the process remains consistent. And I think that that what we're seeing now is that the content of this over these last several years have changed. You know, the names have changed and the states have changed and the exact circumstances have changed. But the process of the way that this happened, the way that this racist process continues and so predictable and so exhausting for people that I think maybe we have gotten to a place where we're saying but it is the same damn thing over and over and over again. How do we do better? How do we do better 
for our families? How do we do better for the people that we share this planet with? How do, how do we do better in our own thinking and expression and our own acknowledgement of this? How do we do better? That this is about connection, not perfection. That we're going to make mistakes, that it's going to feel awkward, that I know I have so much to learn and so much to do. I am going to work hard to connect with other people about this so that I don't feel like I'm doing it alone. And as we all go through this, of course, the goal of this podcast and the goal of of what I do and the goal of what Robin does is that we do have a place and a sense of community as we start these conversations. That was our purpose in doing this today is to let you know that we are wanting to start this process, that we don't want people to feel alone in wanting to start this process. And I know uh, we're not all starting from ground zero. It's not like suddenly we're realizing that there's racism. It's not that, but maybe it's sort of starting this next chapter of our, of our awareness. But we want you to know that if you don't know how to start this process, or if you feel alone and wanting to start this process, that you aren't alone. And we're fumbling through this too. We are not experts in this. And whatever you can do concretely, whatever decision you can make, whatever promise you can make to yourself, to your family, amongst your friends and peers, that your efforts will be worth it. Because we cannot keep doing what we've been doing. We just can't keep doing it. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts.